Do you know what is top dog? Undisputably money. top dog. He's got it. Money. Yeah. Is, is money. It's, it's the money, money baby. Because... Welcome, gentlemen yeah. and ladies listening best. to the podcast. Very, very excitedly in the past two weeks, or almost three weeks now, yeah, it's been we have big. had some images released. Images that Patty would love. Images that Sean would love. Images that Chloe, Sean's dog, would love. Yeah, she doesn't really understand pictures. Still, I can barely get it. The to new KFC the burger has finally come out. The new oh, KFC yeah, yeah, burger yeah. has finally come out. What's it called again? Hot and spicy. Hot and spicy. Yep. Anyway, yep. no, that's something from the Auntie Donna podcast. If you guys uh, want to hear about the hot and spicy, listen to that one. Listen, to Auntie Donna. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. So the new images that came out. Uh, the new images by the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, anyone listen to that and go, well. What is that? It's just a telescope. The James Webb Space Telescope is something that took years and years to get right mm. after multiple delays, multiple issues with getting it up and running, a lot of uh, procurement scientific issues as well. Uh, and six months of commissioning from the start of the year, so when they finally actually got this thing physically together, it took them six months to get right. The first images have finally been released. Now, I can't really show you guys the images because it's very awkward. So, Patty, I'm going to request you put the link in the description and if you're listening right now to have a look at it. But it's literally gone 13.5 billion years back in time to mm. see the furthest galaxy that we know, which let me look at my notes because I can't remember the name. It's called Glass Z13, which is 13.5 billion light years away. Now, what's amazing about these images is you look at it and it's a constellation of stars and everyone goes, okay, cool. In the past, it's just been edited, photoshopped and whatnot, but this is the real deal. And when you zoom in on these things, you can actually see like nebulas and galaxies and clouds in space. And that is simply just fascinating. So, Mm. a lot of astronomers and a lot of scientists are very, very excited about this thing. It's a massive breakthrough in technology. And it's also got really, really good future implications that me as a nerd are very, very excited for. Sean, I'm sure you can attest to that as well. Oh, cannot. Cannot wait to see what this discovered because a telescope to really take a photo. Like, you know how you can take a photo on your phone and it's like instant, like bang, right there. It's the aperture closing. It's just Mm -hmm. literally here is a little snapshot of all the light coming at the moment. Uh, reflecting off surfaces in the visible spectrum, rah, 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 and it's like bang—you hear the like little snap. Mm-hmm. Telescopes take hours to days to take that for mm-hmm. that to close because it's trying to maximize amount of light. So you know those shots where you have um, someone like a highway driving and it takes them like ten minutes to take one photo, and it comes out looking like streams. Effectively, what they've done is try to do that, but to try and capture as much light as possible, they physically extract from an image and then superimpose them on top of each other to create the images that we're now seeing. It's very difficult because everything in that shot technically is moving. So you get some bit of like lag to it. I don't know the exact time it takes for the James Webb to take photos, but if it wants to see further and further away, all it needs to do is expand the time for it to close that aperture. And so it could literally take things that we physically would not be able to see for hundreds of years. It can now start picturing it and giving that the image. And so for me, that's amazing. And it is also like, it is a very clear upgrade on the Hubble telescope, which was launched in 1990. Well, that's the thing. One of the things you touched on was the ability to take images of things so far away. It does this by using a 6.6 tall mirror that it has. So because things are really far away, it uses infrared light to do it, um, which is, uh, we we can't detect that with our naked eye, for example. So there's something called the electromagnetic spectrum. What we see is visible light. So you're looking at me, you're looking at the table, you're seeing brown and whatnot, infrared, we cannot detect. This uses infrared light to uh, pretty much capture 
you know, uh, pretty much pixels from so far out into the universe and it reflects it off this big mirror to pretty much get all the lag and all the um, faded parts out of it. Mm. And like Sean said, superimposes it so you can either choose to see clouds or choose to see stars Mm. at a single time. So it's honestly amazing. But something I always touch on is like, it took took us 70,000 years to get to the level of intelligence we are, but only really 300 years where mm. we, we blossomed in industry. A yeah. hundred years ago, it was believed that there was nothing beyond the Milky Way galaxy. That was like the conclusion of like, oh no, this, this is probably all it is. Whereas now, we're yeah. literally seeing, we're almost there where we can see what happened at the Big Bang. We are 300 million, sorry, point, yeah, point 0.3, 300 million years away from seeing what happened at the Big Bang. That to me is exciting and mm. there's three more projects happening right now to expand on the James Webb using different telescopes that might get us there. Which I think is just incredible. So, so to clarify on it, um, the the Hubble, just the Hubble telescope can see 60,000 times fainter than the human eye. 60,000. That's the Hubble telescope that was built in 1990. I don't know what the... Uh, how. What the how faint the James Webb can see, but it looks it is incredible to see what what we did in 1990, what we're doing now. It is a massive step forward. Well, with all these like kind of steps forward into um, space exploration, obviously with the uh, James Webb Telescope being the latest one, what would the time frame be going forward to actually saying what's behind? The three, what is it? The three hundred million years. The three hundred billion years. <laughs> three hundred million. No, you said three hundred billion before. Did I? If I did, sorry. I think he said million. No, no, no. no. How many years away is what we found? Three hundred billion. Oh, so thirteen point five billion years. Yeah, away. Yeah. So, so like the, the remaining three hundred million, as you said before, how long do you reckon we could finally see, like almost like the end of the universe well it took us a hundred years to get from not knowing what's beyond the milky way to now seeing that and we're exponentially getting smarter as a, i think you know so as a society so i don't think so mate, I'd, i <laughs> i wouldn't put it past the next five ten years to really see what happened at the big bang because what, what the models we use now in science pretty much to say at the big bang radiation and temperature is simply so high that above this the entropy wouldn't be able to contain itself and we'd pretty much crunch and that's why it's believed that this is what the big bang was but to be able to actually see that theory come into practice visually would be just simply like amazing and this is why scientists are so exciting because we're getting very very close to understanding what's you know at the beginning of uh, of the universe yeah but when we find it like i don't think that we we won't have the we'll have the technology but we, but we won't have the brain capacity to kind of face almost face the music of what happened if <laughs> well, you know if, if if that kind of makes sense I, I, because i feel yeah. like we are some i feel like we as you said we're getting evidently smarter just through time as you said like yeah. the, the last 300 years compared to we've the, got the, the technology the, to do it the, yeah. the six thousand before seven thousand beforehand it was just like it's just like it's, it's incomparable to yeah. like what mm. we've done in the humankind has done in the past 300 years but i don't think that our minds especially with like everybody like I would say kind of the minority would be would not accept what is the real life uh mm. like like solution. It depends it depends you know, what it is if, though. If, it honestly depends what they find and what they say. True, yeah. true. Like, yeah. The thing is with this telescope, you say telescope and you just think, Oh, it's you know, it's something you get from Kmart that allows you to see a faint picture of the moon with a lens. What this thing actually does, so we touch on the infrared light and the mirror. There's actually a secondary mirror at the end. So when you think of it, it's like a uh, like a triangle, right? And at the end of these two like beams, there's a secondary mirror that refracts the in- reflects the infrared light into the instruments, right? The thing with infrared is it can actually go around dust. It can pick things up as small as dust and superimpose that on an image. 
and it has what's called a spectrometer on it. Now, a spectrometer is something that absorbs color at certain absorbance, and that color can then be used to determine the composition of chemicals in an atmosphere, for example. So, so, it, kind of det- so it detects the heat? Or... It detects composition of chemicals. So yeah. certain chemicals have certain absorbance, for example. So what they've done with Webb so far is figure out that they can look at planets that are a thousand light years away and figure out what's in that atmosphere. An Ooh, example of, okay. like, I guess, a simplification of what James just said. So, have you ever seen those, I guess, TikToks where someone adds copper to flames and it goes like green? Yeah, or vaguely, go, yeah. Effectively, yeah. that's what a spectrum, spectra, spectrometer yeah. does. Sorry, that one. I'm the spectacles, po- Every yeah. time I point to you, James, say the word because I'm struggling. <laughs> it. So, effectively, what it's doing is it's burning something up. So, a spectator. Yes, I pointed to the wrong person. That was my bad. Spectrometer. Spectrometer. So it'll it'll burn out something, vaporize it, and the color spectrum comes back. Says this is actually what's in it. Now this is generally used in laboratories to figure out what's in something. So you they use it for food. So they put food into it and say what exactly is in this food, and they can that's how they break down to like pretty high percentages. What this is doing the telescope, it's now doing it at a. Millions of years away, millions of light years away. Or sorry, I'm not sure. For, for, for planets, it's about they've got up roughly a thousand light years. But yeah, but that's sorry. to tell what the composition is. So obviously, with us, we talk about having 79 percent nitrogen, 20 percent oxygen in our atmosphere. This can do the exact same thing up to a thousand years away, which is you know figuring out exoplanets and you know allowing yeah. them to say, well, where's life on these other planets? Mm. You know, what's the possibility of finding life based on the atmosphere? Yeah. And so, if you could say, for example, find a uh, a planet that sits in the Goldilocks zone, which is a lot bigger than people give credit for, but say the Goldilocks zone. What is the Goldilocks zone? It's a zone of uh, a zone between a star and a planet that should be able to support carbon-based life, which is by far yeah. agreed to be the only life form that can exist in the universe. It has to be carbon-based. So, so to touch on that, by definition as well, so that's that's correct to an it's extent. A generalization, but, but it actually so a Goldilocks zone is where water can simultaneously exist as a gas, liquid, and a solid as well. So that's generally what they classified as. So by using by looking at different atmospheres, if we find water vapor in there and also observe that um, the planet is cool enough to sustain both ice and water, that's a precedence to say, well, life can exist because obviously with us, life is carbon-based and whatnot, and that's what we know in, in biology and whatnot. But when you're looking at other planets, that might not be the case depending on the composition of that planet. There's that a atmosphere. pretty large consensus amongst the chemical engineering field that... It has to be carbon based. Well, that's so chemists, thought. not chemical engineers. Okay, well, chemists. <laughs> Sorry, I feel Let's like. Let's differentiate you guys are the between same us. Thing. No, we're <laughs> definitely not the same thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, that, so imagine if you could see one of these planets that's in the Goldilocks zone, and then you're able to detect actually the carbon dioxide in this level is fluctuating. Either it's going through like an ice age or a, a massive catastrophic event, or something's creating carbon dioxide naturally, also known as organic life so you could spot even if you couldn't tell what it is unlike movie um don't look up where they actually find the animals and kills a lot of people including the secretary and the prime uh, very satisfying the president, yeah. oh so delicious <laughs> i love that scene um but you could actually detect if this was uh, a, a life-carrying planet from a thousand light years away now we'd never get to that planet but to, just to have an understanding of what creates life across the universe, that's incredibly valuable, especially since our planet's probably going to blow up. So trying to find uh, escape route planet B is the uh, current current plan. Yeah. And uh, something, something I wanted so to... Depressing. That's so depressing. So depressing, <laughs> but it is so true. Everyone's looking like, oh, we can just screw up this one and go to planet B. Yeah, but if, what, what if we can't find planet B? That's a, that's a really good point. And that's, uh, and that's I, a very valid point. I think that's point, what yeah. a lot of people are saying is why are we fucking up this planet if we have no op- other option? There's no, no other life I would, I would highly recommend you guys watch um, um, Idiocracy. It's a movie made mm. a few years back, uh, probably in like, two, like early 2000s. Yeah. And it's basically about... 
how uh, this average guy who has like average intellect, average everything, just sort of like the average mm, Joe, yeah. he goes into the future in this like army project, but it's forgotten about and he wakes up about 3,000, 4,000 years in the future. Or yeah. Maybe it might be 5,000. And the entire planet has like, because the re- it's been repopulated but the population has just gotten stupider and stupider because yeah. the only people populating in yeah. around the time and early 2000s was apparently idiots or something like that. So like yeah, the, the, the average um, yeah, IQ the has gone down to like down. five. And he's considered a genius <laughs> in the like, uh, why are the, the crops growing? Like, why are you giving them Mountain Dew? Yeah. And he's like, put water back into the pipes. Water? What's water? Water? It's like, <laughs> yeah. And then like Doritos, it's like the... The presidential election sponsored by Doritos and things like that. Yeah. Like oh. it's it's like extreme consumer, dumb intellects. Um, but it's weird to think that there's a possibility that we could get to that stage. I think we'd wipe ourselves out with a nuclear disaster. I fucking hope to God we do if we ever get to that yeah. stage. But um, yeah, that the fact that as we're growing, we're not getting smarter. It's only a select few, and then they get vilified. And then the dumb people take over. Well, I mean, this is one of the theories of why uh, we haven't found external life or vice versa yet is because be- life exists in such a short time span. That is one of the theories that we've either become so dumb yeah. or so dangerous to the point where we've exterminated each other. Simply like what we're seeing now if we don't yeah. get our shit together. Well, like uh, a good example was James was saying that, what was it how many years does it take to get here? 70,000 years of humanity to get to the point where we're seeing beyond the stars questioning the existence right 70,000 years but only 300 of those 70,000 years is when the industrial revolution industrial period started to really come up we're going through an industrial revolution now yeah that we haven't seen so so imagine that right this uh, this 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 flat line for a very long period of time and suddenly it starts curving up and when that curve happens it's abrupt it's sudden it's like 300 years 300 divided by 70,000 fucking nothing it's less than a percent right and so boom suddenly we're into the space age Mm. Right, and there's a chance that we might nuke ourselves to death and just stop, and our civilization wipes out. Now, imagine that with another civilization, another point in, around space. Right, for us to meet that alien spaceship or that alien civilization, they need to have gone through the same things that we went through, and they hit the exact same spike at the same time we did, and they didn't wipe themselves out like we might do. It is like a game of probability. Even though there's the, the, the statement yeah. is correct that we there's likely to be life out there, the fact that spacefaring wants to communicate and has survived long enough is very low. And that's why... Yeah, it's, that's, it's well, that's, Steve, that's, that's one, of four Stephen, one of four of Stephen Hawking's prediction of why we haven't been found yet. Well, that and also the fact that maybe people were observing us and they know that none of us are on the same page, mm. that everyone is in it for themselves and on kind uh-huh. of their is on their own trajectory, yeah. so to speak. So maybe they're they bet they could a possibility could be they're waiting for us to no longer be children in quotation marks and yeah. well, and mature. Yeah, so there's there's a theory that um that alien life has spotted us and seen us, but also seen how dumb we are and how ridiculous and we are. Waiting. So they've partic- they've Specifically, advice. I don't. I don't really buy basically, that theory. Ka- basically, Kang and Kodos uh, yeah. looking onto us, looking like oh, stupid humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that that the whole idea behind that also is there's like options that you do when you find a juvenile species, a juvenile civilization. Let's yeah. say that that we, that we may be considered but to then, be. But then why haven't they invaded us as well? But that's the thing: is why? What's the point? There's no resources sure. they can get from here. There, there's what they're gonna harvest our life form. They could just grow something in a tank. Like, so you, if you had, let's assume that we're the smartest civilization in this situation and you run into a juvenile civilization, you've got a few options. One, wipe them out because they could become a competitor. 
very unlikely. You probably wouldn't do that. Number no. two, you just sit and observe and wait for them to develop and to the point where they've become smart enough that you then integrate them to your civilization. Or send like a message or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, if you can hear this message, contact us back or something Well, that like was that. the third one. It is to provide uplift, to accelerate their technology and advancement Kind of like the way Megatron did in Transformers 1 where he shaped the civilization society. Ah, what a fucking stretch that was, yoga stretch. Great movie. But <laughs> it is possible that we are being uplifted because we have suddenly accelerated out of nothing, effectively. Like 200, 300 years ago, we were still using muskets. And now we're talking about things that can see thousands of light years into the future. I have a theory mm-hmm. why that. I feel it's like that it's obviously because of the industrial revolution in the, the initial one mm. back in the 1700s 1600s yep. would you say yeah the, yeah around the, the turn French, of the, the French revolution would you think no, that's, no, would no, you no, think no, no, that's no. because Different. there was also a turn in culture of uh what everyone like no one was no longer in the same type of religion well religion was only dominant for a few thousand right, i mean religion religion still dominant it's, it's, like still, it's, still, it's still yeah. religion is still very dominant however it, religion is now taken it's there's a rise it, of it's, it's around yeah. that it's around, but it's taking it's not the priority. Like for the, for yeah. a long time, religion and spirituality was was, was top pri- dog. Prim- primary mm. number one, priority number one. So nowadays it'll be maybe priority five. Yeah. Do you know what is top dog? Undisputably money. top dog. He's got it. Money. Yeah, it, it, money is the money, money, baby. Because you believe that you walk around with a little plastic note that says $5. You hand it to someone, they believe it's also worth $5. Yeah. You believe in that, regardless of a religion, where you grew up, that's whatever. Why, that's why robbers believe yeah. ca- cash is king. If you ask any ex-thief mm. or ex- any jewel thief or any, any <laughs> robber, they're like, bro, ca- you can't deny cash. I don't talk to many robbers or gem thieves. What I, is this, 1999 Scooby-Doo? I, I would recommend <laughs> listening to Larry Lawton and just like watching, yeah. reading, reading bits of his memoir. It's very fun. He's it's a very funny guy who is yeah. like an ex-convict. Mm. Oh, okay. Highly recommend. Yeah, good stuff. Well, like, I wanted to bring us back to James Webb yeah. though. So yeah. like... Uh, <laughs> who's so James Webb? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so what are we talking oh, no, no, about I again? can answer that one. James Webb. So he's actually the second administrator for NASA. Um, he took over during some of the most critical parts of NASA's work, including the Mercury and Gemini missions were the first ones where they got humans into space uh, for the Americans and of course the Apollo missions he actually managed the Apollo 1 fire Um, and so the telescope's named to tribute to him Um, pretty much the Hubble uh, was designed to last 31 years launched in uh, 1990 the moment it died, James E. Webb's uh, telescope yeah. took over. Sorry, and, the, and this is the thing, like... Did, uh, what, sorry, go ahead. How much did it cost to make? No, I'm not too sure. Oh, American no. dollars are paying for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Tax payers, yeah. Tax deductible, as they say. Uh, thank you, America. Uh, I, we salute you. I salute you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, look, look that one up. But what, what I want to touch on is I feel like as these images have been released, we're putting a lot of shit on Hubble. Like... And no, we, shouldn't, we, we should. shouldn't be no, doing no, no. that because Hubble did some amazing things. It, it used like um, optical and ultraviolet like length as its main, as its primary source of detecting images and to detect redshift in galaxies, which is like to pretty yeah. much say how far away things are, which was an amazing advancement in technology. Mm. Whereas this is to say how do galaxies and planets actually interact with each other? Because yeah. we only know really how, based on theories, how galaxies interact with each other and. We in an earlier podcast back when we did beers with engineers, Sean was saying, "Well, everything in space is a theory, and this is why there's so many movies and sci-fi like tech on it because well, it's it's just there's no clear 
understanding of what's beyond what we can see. Yeah. yeah. And this is a step for us to say, well, we actually know now. We can visually see it. We have instruments to do it. It's no longer what we studied in our physics college classes. That to me is amazing. Mm. Another thing that's amazing comparing it to Hubble is Hubble uh, rotated around, sorry, went into Earth's orbit and circled around Earth, whereas the James Webb Telescope is going to sit in something called a Lagrange 2 point which is where the gravitational pull from the sun and earth is at the perfect balance so that Mm. it goes around the sun's orbit, but it goes at the same speed of the earth. Yeah, so that was a question I was going to ask because if it went around the sun, we'd have periods where we couldn't get images from James Webb or manage or like watch it. If it's in this spot where it's right between earth and the sun and just balancing right there, we would have constant uh, access to it, which I think is incredibly useful. Imagine like every eight hours, you just lose the telescope. Once if you didn't find it. Great movie, actually, uh, is... Uh, was it the movie based on the Parkes Telescope? On the landing of the Apollo missions on the moon. Uh, they played cricket on the telescope. Oh, it was a really good film. Oh, The Dish. The Dish, yes. Ever, ever watched The Dish? Because they actually lost lost um, tracking of the actual Apollo mission. Very, very good um, Aussie movie. Has yeah. the guy from Jurassic Park, the main guy, Sam Neill. Yeah, Sam yeah. Neill, yeah. And effectively went, how the fuck do we find the telescope? We have nothing. We've got no point of reference. We're rotating and we're in a backwards country. Went, we do have a point of reference. Yeah, the moon. Let's yeah. point at the moon. And they mm-hmm. just went, oh, we found it. And then just, and they didn't tell NASA this, that they lost it because NASA went, all right, time to start the walk. They went, oh, fuck, we just found it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> it God. Was, they were like, holy shit. I the first know. images wouldn't have been broadcast to Earth. I don't know how dramatized uh, that is but but they did admit that on the day so um a real thing that happened during this was there was a massive windstorm that went across parks to the point where the dish which is a massive like 60 meter wide dish was bouncing around you really can't have a dish bounce around when it's trying to receive uh, images from the moon which is like hmm. uh eight light minutes away or something like that right so they had almost like 40 people people from the town came running over with a rope roped into the dish and held it tight and was waiting. This thing was like just over load-bearing strength. Mm. It was at a wrong angle and it was just vibrating, but held long enough to send the images across the world. So those images that came around were being held together by 40 people in parks. Damn. Massive props to them. 100%. Good segue. You touched on the vibrations because one of the most amazing bits of the James Webb Telescope as well is it has a warm side and also a cold side as well. So space is generally a cold place in the absence of sun and the absence Mm -hmm. of light. So with the James Webb, it's got like a sun shield, right, to protect it from light, but also it's going to be really warm on the side. On the underside, it's about minus 180 degrees from the top of my head to block the sun out from it. And the reason it does that is because not only to deal with the infrared light, but it has something called dark current, which is like similar to electric current, but in space that can actually cause the atoms within like the sensors to vibrate. And when that happens, it gets false signals. It can send things that aren't actually there. So it has to remain cold on the other side to suppress those vibrations, which I found was a... It's one of those things like you go to build something and you think it's so straightforward and out of nowhere you get (laughs) stumped with this problem that you're just like, what? I never would have thought of this. And they came up with a, a very good solution to pretty much you know mm. resonate with what you were just talking about with uh with that movie i'll, I'll give some some maybe some final t- uh, notes on the james webb uh, telescope so we compare it to hubble and i want to say uh, comparing it to hubble i don't want to say like we're bashing the hubble we're standing on the shoulders of giants which is what the science community refers to when they say we are going off the work of other people off the scientific community that's come before us and like you look at Einstein and Newton and Marie Curie, what they've done has led to massive advancements. So we're standing on the shoulder of giants. So 
the Hubble to me is one of the giants that we stand on. So, um, so again, James Webb was launched uh, last year, uh, but it is now, now taking photos because it's in the right spot. It's only expected to last 10 years while the Hubble was 31. Its mirror size is 6.5 meters, right? It, the previous, the Hubble was 2.4. Its mass is 6.2 tons, which sounds like a lot. That's about just over half of what the Hubble was. And like James was talking about, the operating temperature of the Hubble telescope was at 20 degrees. It needed to be at 20 degrees to operate correctively. Hubble can do it at minus 230. So about 53 degrees above absolute zero. So that's the coldest thing that can ever happen. So it is, it is incredibly flexible, incredibly light, massive. In terms of size, right? Um, so a tennis court, the length of a tennis court is 78 feet. This is a, a two-person tennis court. The length of the James Webb telescope is 69.5 feet, not including the mirror, just straight down. The width uh, of a tennis court is 36 feet. The James Webb is 46.5. So this thing is about the size of a tennis court. Imagine that floating through space. Damn. Yeah, imagine the fucking 50, Let's go down to the tennis court. Yeah, anyways. Talk it up like, yeah. Um, Oh and God. and to answer your previous question, it costs ten billion dollars to build. Damn, yep, that sounds about right for space exploration. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it'll be a point where we have yeah. so much of these things. And, and this is why months. there were so many delays to get a budget like that together. Mm. Uh, would be a lot of uh, like we were talking about before, money lot, being the leader a of religion. Lot of sweet talking, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, but yeah, so that's the James Webb telescope. James Anyways. Webb will post an Instagram on those photos and some news to that. Um, uh, you can check the link in the description. Have a look at these beautiful images. <laughs> All right, boys, a little bit of a Elon Musk, Musk family Twitter update. The, the one thing that we're all craving for. So do you guys know any of the updates so far? Not at all. I have not been anything. following this at all. So basically, what what was the last thing that, we kind of, that we've kind of known about? The only thing I've known about is that uh, try to buy Twitter, no longer buying it due to a material, something called a material breach. Or a, yeah, they didn't provide pretty much not ev- providing evidence. Yeah, they didn't provide evidence of their fake accounts, and, which yeah. is sort of bullshit. I think. But I mean, if you if you're buying a house and they won't res- like give you the fucking details of what you're buying, you're like, well, I'm not buying it anymore, and they're in the cooling off period. I feel like he's somewhat in the right, but also, yep. why is he buying Twitter in the first place? So know. now Twitter is obviously hitting back. They're going to be there. Um, they're they're, they're taking legal action against Musk for the actual for the purchase of it. Mm-hmm. And what's going on so far is Twitter's hired a law firm. Musk's hired a law firm. Yeah. I'm I'm going to talk about Elon and the Twitter thing a little because I want to talk about something else revolving around Elon Musk. This, oh, so this spicy. Oh, Obviously, so they then on the on July nineteenth. Spice, spice, a little bit of spice. Can I find All a right. spicy SoundCloud? Okay, so after that, obviously they both have law firms. They go into the they obviously the time for the judicial system to take place. Um, the a U.S. judge ordered the lawsuit to go to trial on October of this year against the wishes of Musk's legal team, as they want it to be early in the months of next year in 2023. Okay, this what all, was the reasoning. This all happened on 20. Uh, this all happened on uh, July nineteenth this year. Basically, at the uh, b- I believe the judges clearly the only reason it's done this year is because the legal team didn't give proper evidence, evidence. Inform- information about proper information this, yeah, the fake and the reactions from this. Obviously, some being more humorous than others, but basically, there's been a few analysis done on the situation, and on mm. the the general consensus is from lawyers that. Elon doesn't have a leg to stand on, really. Okay. Realistically, I'll just trying to find some things. So, um, 
professor from University of California found Musk's spam bot argument weak and doubted it was material, whilst some other universities from business law professor observed that Twitter was compelled to enforce the merger so as to disprove Musk's allegations. But I feel like the argument can go both ways. Like the, the courts could say, well, Twitter's argument not to give information is just as weak as a Musk argument to get that information. Yeah. I guess too, there's Twitter, I bet, would have provided a certain amount of information and uh, Elon Musk's team probably said, this is not good enough. And they went, well, we've hit every single thing you've asked for. We're not going to give any more because we're not legally obliged to. So I guess it's it's not about the information that's been across. It's what the definition of what they wanted. It's contractual. Yeah, yeah it's whatever's in, the, yeah. whatever's in the contract. But the thing is like, they made an agreement, right? And what they signed off was is uh, if one, either of them put out of the deal, the other would owe $1 billion. And that's what Elon Musk is obviously refusing to pay. No, but I feel like there's also... This, I feel like there's argument to the theory that Elon Musk is only doing this to kind of boost the Twitter popularity or like boost, you know, general buzz. Not over, unique can. Which, <laughs> which, which honestly... He's done before. He, he's done before, but honestly, he doesn't even need to do it because we're now going to talk about what I really want to talk about. So, have, have you guys heard of... Do you guys know who fathered Elon Musk? Oh, what, the the gem dealer in South Africa? Yes. So, I believe the man is named... Oh, Errol. Musk? Er, Errol Musk. Oh, this is... Hold on. That is... No. A spicy oh, sorry. I, I was waiting. I was way too late before. Anyway, basically, have you guys heard what what happens between uh, Elon Musk's dad Errol and his stepdaughter? Uh, oh God! No. <laughs> oh no! Basically, they have fa- they not only have has he fa- has he fathered a love child with his stepdaughter. It's the second love child. Wait, wait. So has the news that both. There's two love charts just recently coming out, or is the first one already Elon, news and this is now the, the second? The Elon Musk's father, Errol, has finally revealed he has sired a secret second love child with his glamorous stepdaughter, Yana. Oh, God. Oh, okay. And And... What and it's not one of those like situations where it's like you know what happened with um Woody Allen and his oh completely different. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is because the 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 legality with that is the fact that he didn't adopt Woody Allen didn't adopt that daughter. It's still fucking disgusting, but mm. he didn't wasn't physically adopted. Not only did he adopt this girl Errol, he's been in in her life since she was four. Oh no. That is no, no, no. It's foul. It's honestly, it's what the fuck? It's like I don't understand. I just don't understand. Any, any, anyone going to play devil's advocate here? Because I'm not going to. I'm not. Sean, I'm, Sean, go. Uh, hold on, I got a soundboard for this. Hold on, here we go. Why is it spicy? Oh, sorry, uh, one. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Oh like God. the news. The news. Why is it spicy? <laughs> it's, oh uh, my God. It's spicy. Spicy, meet the boy. <laughs> oh my God. Why? Doesn't why? Okay. I, okay. Well. Uh, that's not <laughs> okay. So Errol and Yana's son, born in 2017, is named Elliot and nicknamed Rus and nicknamed Rusi. Errol has not disclosed the name of their daughter, who was born in 2019. So I feel like okay. So it's not new. Oh, it's not. So this wasn't recent, this wasn't recent. This was, like, this, was a, this was probably pre-COVID, yeah. pre you know world changing basically. <sighs> but obviously now it's no good. The only my only <laughs> reason that he could want to do this is because clearly his favorite porn category. No, don't say it. No. What do you say? I'm not condoning it. (laughs) I'm not condoning it in any way, shape, or form. It's disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) It's a sense. It doesn't matter like what 
It's family. It's like, how can you... Uh, that it's, just, yeah, just, sorry. I, clearly, we have different definitions of family between us then. We, uh, we're living in what a very... Sorry, we accept family as family. No, no, no. Elon no, Musk's family. family goes, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to I say. I thought you would be like, clearly, no, no, you and I. Was, no, no, you and I have <laughs> the sorry, same... Uh, sorry, when I say him and I, I was talking about us, the three of us, and... Him, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Jesus well, there's Christ. different types of love, right? There's a love between a partner, a love between a family, a love between your friends. When the two intertwine with each other, that's... It's, uh, it's sure. Okay, your partner it's, can it's, be your best friend, sure, but yeah. usually that happens at the same time, not, you know, family, then you oh, love them. Like, I think... I think it, oh, I will I will disagree on the fact that it's I feel like it's different from banging like banging your friend to banging your family. Like those are two completely I never I never said no, they're both the same level of fucked up. I'm just saying when you cross link the two it's not no. normal. Mm. Uh, no, none, none of this is normal. None of this is normal. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Elon Musk or uh, in electric vehicles, I'm going to move on to my next topic. <laughs> Okay, so recently, EY, uh, Ernst & Young, which is a consultancy firm that works around the world, um, they've conducted a study known as the EV Mobility Study. Oh, well, sorry, the EY Mobility Consumer Index 2022 study. So this is happening that happened in 2020, around the same time that COVID was really taking off, and then 2021, and then now 2022. Effectively, it was looking at what is people's opinions towards mobility, specifically like cars they would take, how they get to work, um, how they travel in the day-to-day. Um, and how that's changing and what they've found is a lot of information around electric vehicles and how that's been accepted around the world. Now, this study itself was uh, completed over 18 countries with 13,000 people responding. It includes countries like Australia, Canada, China, France, Germany, in Italy, India, uh, US, New Zealand, the UK. So a lot of places. And this was conducted in March. It's very, very mm-hmm. recent. And one of the themes they really wanted to cover was electric vehicle and the acceptance of electric vehicle of, or disacceptance for electric vehicle. Now, as a whole, what do we feel like is the average uptake for an electric vehicle in Australia, let's say? 25%? No, it's way low. It's like 2%. Yeah. So, okay. So, Australia... Oh, sorry, is, this, is EV uptake? Just EV purchases compared to all purchases. And the, okay. um, the car market's fucked right now oh, because I, of like chip thought, shortages and shit. I thought you were asking like what's the general consensus of like everyone like Australia's opinion on it. I'll, on I'll ask both. Yeah. So what so the current uptake of electric vehicles in Australia is about 2%. Um what do you think is the people who want to buy electric vehicles? How do you feel? Probably as, probably the younger generation. I mean, this is yeah. a question for Patty because I did the news post on this. So oh, I sent you the, yeah, 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 we we did the news post together. But what do you think is just in Australia, not international, just Australia? How do you think Australians are reacting to electric vehicles? Do you think they not are well. accepting it or not accepting not it? Not really, I yeah. don't think. Because from what I understand, I feel like is especially with our regional mm. uh like sort of uh non-city based yeah. people, they're not really kind of they're not buying it because I, I think they kind of think it's all a bit bullshit and they kind of yeah. and to kind of and to uh quote um and to quote um an old, an old timer I met on the street <laughs> that we're that we're all a bunch of snowflakes. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always this current like stigmatism towards people rural, people in the cities. Yeah. I hate it. I honestly the people from the country, some of them are the best mates. Um, but they just get a bad stick sometimes. And then get, also people in the it, city yeah. get bad sticks. Some of them deserve it, but I don't think we all get to be painted the same way. Anyway, exactly, so, no. yeah. um, so, so this study was looking at um, 
what they wanted to do in Fakar. So they said with COVID, the major thing that shifted was people don't like public transport. 13% of people around the world stopped using as much public transport after COVID than before, which I think can make sense that just the general consensus. I just, I, I never liked, honestly, the mm. Sydney public transport. It's terrible. It's compared just, to Melbourne? Oh, compared to Melbourne, terrible. Compared to Japan, well, honestly, than, it's like I we're mean, on a better planet. than Brisbane. That's the one good thing. But um, Brisbane doesn't really have like... That's the, my point. We're yeah, better exactly. than band minimum. Um, but overall, like commuting has dropped a fair chunk. So public public transport was the biggest one to drop. But personal car drop, personal car usage went down 11% post-COVID. The only thing that went up is three by 3%. The only thing that went up is car rentals. Sharing went down. Cabs went down. Micro-mobility and personal scooters all went down in usage. However, 63% of people in the survey said they were going to buy a car in the next 12 months. And the, one of the ones leading it as like China and India, they're at 75, 74%. Uh, Norway's down near the bottom around 44%. Now, of internationally, how do you think electric vehicles doing? In terms of uh, electric vehicles, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, that kind of like field, clump that all together. How much do you reckon they want to buy those kind of cars versus a standard internal combustion engine? Your standard depends on the co- diesel petrol. Depends on the country. Like if you're China, for example, heaps. Probably, like China's probably, the highest. Well, well what do you think is... Uh, internationally averaged across 13,000 people that put in the study. How many people do you reckon are going to buy that car? I'll ask Patty because James has seen the data. What's the question again? How much internationally, uh, what do you think people's acceptance is of either electric vehicles, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, that kind of group, as a percentage of compared to... Uh, 70. It's actually 52%, so you, okay. you overestimated it. But the point being was in 2020, it was 30%. So th- this is a massive growth in just two years. People went... Wow, actually, maybe not buying uh, a petrol car or a diesel car right now is the way to go, and it's it's this massive shift. And the the main driver at thirty eight percent is environmental concern. So climate change clearly has taken the grasp of the balls here, and is pushing people towards electric vehicles, which I think is just a, a really good thing to see because it is one of the low hanging fruits to switch. I mean, across. That, the the way I see it, the someone is buying a Tesla, especially nowadays, and like not the, just a Tesla, just electric vehicles in general. Electric yeah. vehicle in general, I will say Tesla because that's kind of the most the pop, most popular brand. Yeah, I guess if I see someone with a Tesla and they cut and I ask, oh, why did you buy that? They will cut, they'll usually give the spiel about, oh, you know, it's cheap, it's more cost effective, or, yeah, right. or all that sort of thing. But we all we kind of all know the only reason you bought it is because you know. You, you, is kind of splashing money around. No, well, this, this no, is my, I, this I reckon is my it is. Well, that's the thing. It's, so, like, sorry. It's, it's, it's the brand. They want the brand, not well, really. Is, uh, they're is, like, they're what, that the brand is first and then the benefits, obviously. This was my question. Next. Sorry, I wanted to ask yeah. a similar question is how much of that was just interest in new technology and performance? Very low. Hold on. Okay, I'll no. look at the exact because, like, So the main drivers for... It's not, it's not a phone, mate. If, yeah. if someone wanted to buy something, like the newest thing, they'd buy a phone, not a car. No, fuck. Yeah. It's a load of okay. bullshit, mate. So here are the like, main reasons. Oh, I, okay, so my argument is if you say to someone, buy this like box because climate change is getting worse. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy the box. But if you say, yeah. buy this electric vehicle that is really high performance that can do all these cool things like Sean did in his YouTube video then people are going to buy it because yeah. it's like, all right, cool, I'm saving the planet, but I'm getting something I love. That is my argument. Yeah. Mm. Look, an electric vehicle, uh, the, sorry, a basic Tesla, which is like top-tier brand, right? We agree that Tesla's top-tier brand. If you look at the base model, Model 3, in Australia, it's 60 grand, which is 10 grand more than the... Uh, imagine it's a comparable to a BMW M3, which comes in about 100 grand. So it's actually mm-hmm. cheaper when you compare a family four-car sports vehicle. Because it's going faster than the M3 and it's like mm. half the price. Yeah. 
that is the Tesla top range, right? Then you've got like your Porsche Taycan, which comes in 250. That, I agree, is going after technology because it doesn't make sense. It's low range. It's too expensive. But then you're getting electric vehicles around the $30,000 mark or $40,000 mark. And that's being uptaken. So we're going to like our Hyundai's and our Toyota's yeah. and stuff now. Yeah, I think Tesla's taking out the top markets in terms of like who's got the money to buy a Tesla. They're going for that one first. But people say, I can't afford Tesla. So many other brands are coming through. So the top five reasons for buying an electric vehicle, 38%. 38% of people said it's environmental. 34%, the rising penalty on ICE vehicles. If you look at Europe, they're just stopping ICE productions for one. Um, they're also putting penalties so you can't drive like ICE vehicles as yeah. much. The, uh, such oh, what like do you that. mean ICE vehicles? Internal, Internal combustion, combustion engines, engine. so petrol okay. and diesel effectively. Okay. Um, the other one, at the third biggest one, uh, 25% lower cost of ownership. And they're right. A Tesla Model 3, if you buy it, it takes maybe $15 to charge up a car. Imagine filling up your car for $15 today, Patty. It would be fucking pretty yeah, brilliant, right? I would enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. $15. Yeah. You can charge it whenever you want. You don't need to wait in line. Just plug it in it when you get home. The, unplug it when you leave in the next morning. Done. It's like charging your phone. I don't understand why people have such a big problem with like charging an electric vehicle when they can charge their phone at night. Like, If it's such a problem, throw out your fucking iPhone. Anyway. So like on a Totex point of yeah. view, which is total cost, it's just better. Yeah. Like, together yeah so like i think it said like a base model 3 base tesla model 3 after 10 years costs less than a camry hmm. yeah because you have to service there's it like no a car. service the gas price especially now fucking russia ugh um it, the, the price is just too high for a normal engine and then now penalties coming on and so if we start seeing these things come through electric vehicles are by far cheaper it's just that capital cost it's a bit more expensive up front but long term so that's why businesses are buying them because it's good this is we can Buy it, write it off, and everyone in our business will come, we're super efficient. Surely, like, I don't know. Surely, if, if the government wanted to do something about it, it could be similar to a hex debt where it's like, well, you're not going to be paying this amount for your premium and your services and all that. Mm. So, use that money instead to pay off, pay off your car yeah. because you're doing something for the environment. The government's not going to be in that much debt for supplying it. Yeah, and I'm not saying go and buy a Tesla and the government gives you 90 grand to buy a top model Tesla. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's a lot more than that, but allow you to buy a $30,000 car. That's the same price as a hex debt. So a few places are doing this this kind of uh, system. So AGL Australia, you can actually rent a car, Tesla, for long periods of time. It's actually cheaper than buying a new car and selling it immediately. Um, uh, Sorry, selling it after you've used it. Um, The governments are looking at like loans and debts. I think Vic and New South Wales are looking at it, something similar. Um, Canberra is way advanced, but they're targeting more infrastructure than anything. Everyone's got different ways about it, but like 25% of people are saying there's the benefits to getting an electric vehicle financially, like sponsorship from governments, from business, from um, just uh, different organizations to lower the cost of electric vehicles. Uh, now, in the last few years, is really pushing them down the path. Mm-hmm. And so like maybe I'll talk about a few different motivators. So um, I said uh, currently 38% of people are worried about the environment. That's actually gone down. In 2021, it was 49% of people were buying electric vehicles for the environmental concern. And one of the biggest concerns around electric vehicles is range anxiety, right? You've heard, you might have heard this buzzword, range anxiety. Ooh, I can't go as far. That's, it is a fair concern to, to, to most people. The car doesn't go as far and it takes a bit longer to charge. So for these long trips, these one in, I think they said it takes, you only do these trips 0.5% of the time. Of its actual driving life, so a very small amount of time. Mm. In those periods, just rent a normal, uh, rent a internal combustion engine for a long drive up north. But ninety nine percent of the time, you're getting a really cheap vehicle. That used to be the fourth largest concern for electric vehicles. It's now dropped out completely. It's not even the top five concerns. 
Well, you can kind of like you can charge it anywhere. Oh, I take that you? back. It's in the sa- it stayed completely stable. I read that wrong. It's oh, it was at thirty three percent in twenty twenty one. It's at thirty three percent in twenty twenty two. I'll correct myself. Oh, yeah. But the upfront cost last year as it was fifteen percent of the reason why people would not buy an electric vehicle. Now, it's at twenty seven percent. It's halved. So okay. internationally, we know that upfront cost isn't as bad as it should be. I suppose, it's dropping yeah. around. I suppose it's better in uh, places like Europe where the drives aren't as long because everything's kind of closer together. But in Australia, maybe a bit different if you want to do like the old drive to Melbourne or something. Because mm. 400 kilometers is like the average range of a like a Tesla, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. Wait, say that again. Sorry. It's 400 kilometers is like the average range of a Tesla, isn't it? Uh, I mean, the Model 3 performance comes in at like 560. Well, that's pretty impressive. Like, to me, that's like... Yeah, I mean, again, but that, that stat is fucked because that car, the way this system that they use is so cooked. Effectively, what they do is say, how long can your core car go? And then what's the definition of a core car? I'm like, just take out or turn off the non-essentials. So what people do is they literally take off the doors, the chairs, they pull out all the machines. All it is is just the engine and the outside steering. So driving a straight line, CFI Eco, that's the record. That's the range. And that's both for electric vehicles and ICE vehicles. And even Elon Musk, I'm not talking about his dad, but just Elon Musk himself, he has said that this is a fucked up thing that we do. But we have to do it because it's the only way to stay competitive. Everyone else has been doing it for years. Your car, when it's claimed as ranges, will not go that distance if you have its stock. If you have a stock car, it will not go the range. It's promised. Because the stock car and the car they use for the test are completely different. It's fucking annoying. And just in terms of electric vehicle purchases, right? So Australia is quite low. In terms of where we're looking to buy an electric vehicle, only 13% of Australians looking to get it, right? Mm-hmm. China's at 37. China's massive, yeah. South Korea's so at many more brands as well in yeah. China. Norway, which is pushing like 50% electric vehicle sales, is at 31%. Yeah. The worst, com- the worst in the world? Have a guess of the worst in the world. And you know what? It's a very advanced economy. London, England. London, England. The country of London. London. Yes. London City. Yes. London exit. No, it's not. Um, UK comes in just below average at 19%. The current global average is 20%. I'm trying uh, to think. What continent? And this is just electric vehicles, not electric vehicles and hybrids. To, to, what what to continent s- has the lowest? What, 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 no, like what continent is it in? Um, it's in the Asia region. Iraq? It's Vietnam. Nope. Japan. It's... Correct. Ah. Japan comes in at five percent because Japan, because it has a, such a strong dependence on like Toyota and like Lexus yeah. oh, and yeah. hydrogen. Yeah. Too. They're pushing yeah, hydrogen yeah, yeah, yeah. over electric uh, internal combustion engines, and also they have a lot of fuel insecurity. They're trying to get away from nuclear because it's fucked up. Um, they're trying to look at importing green hydrogen, which won't come till twenty thirty. So they have a lot of they a lot of concern around getting energy locally. Oh, oh but. Sean, you talk about the environmental concerns, but when you charge your electric vehicles, uh, you use fossil fuels to charge it. So uh, why would you care about the environment? That, that look, oh, thank, I, thanks, James the child, for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Elon Musk's love charts. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Um, Which no. one? Oh, sorry, his dad's love chart. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for bringing that up. But you're right. So you, if you charge from a, a socket, any wall socket, you charge it from the grid. And that could be really, really badly polluting or really good. Current average in Australia, and I'm saying this currently, in July of 2022, 33% of the energy coming through our sockets is renewables. Thirty, We are one-third renewables across the NEM, the eastern side of Australia. One-third. So when people say Impressive. renewables don't work, they're not supportive. One-third of your energy right now is coming from renewables. One-fucking-third. To suggest that, oh, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, then... 
how's your lights turning on? How are you cooking dinner? What, what's going on? If it's not working, then look around. I mean, Canberra's technically like 100%. But there's... Fantastic, but water. Yeah, a lot of water. So there's an argument that it's not 100% renewables. But the point being is we're not really pushing renewables and we're 33%. Imagine what we did if we actually wanted this as a goal, if we actually set it as a target. Mm. And even if, even if, so imagine we were really just charging with coal, right? Oh, I gotta do the maths off the top of my head. I couldn't be fucked. Um, you're just talking about you're talking <laughs> so, about waste heat. Just that's yeah. I think it's like uh, a a, kilo, a megawatt hour of energy is about a, a ton of CO two from a coal plant. Yeah. Um, but you don't need that. So you only you you if you charge purely with electric, you should be getting 0. 0.7 uh, seven kilograms of CO two to charge your car to full. Um, I don't know how much CO. Wait, hold on. Uh, we can do the calculation. Hold on, I need to get a calculator. So an average car's efficiency, uh, yeah, sorry, so the- grams of CO2 per kilometer is about 100 and in Australia, because of the efficiency is lower, let's say it's 120 uh, grams of CO2 per kilometer, the average range of a car, gentlemen, for like a four-seater uh, car, five, six hundred Ks? Yeah, I'd say 550. 550 divided by 1,000. It's 660 kilograms. Oh, wait, uh, wait, no, it's 66 kilograms of CO2. The point you're trying to make is like, the point being is even per, if per at the coal. very fucking worst, charging with coal is better than charging with um, correct. Yeah, and 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 to charging put it, with coal. If you charge your yeah. car with pure coal energy, it's still more efficient than putting out petrol. Because like an ICE vehicle, it, it's only like forty percent efficient, whereas an electric vehicle is we're looking up to ninety percent because pure chemical energy to electrical energy. Mm. Whereas a car is like mechanical to chemical, back to mechanical, then finally to electrical. Oh, it's 0.777. Hold on. Oh, 0.98. Hold on. I need to do the calculations. <laughs> oh my God. I think well, we get the point. It's fucking better to charge your car using non-renewable energy than it is to drive a internal combustion engine. Yeah. I still oh. love my V8s though. I'm sorry. I was, Look, I, I, was, I was brought up in a, a household that loves F1s, but... I would prefer to watch the F1s over the FEs. Sorry, Sean. Well, uh, I'll do the calculations in my own time. But <laughs> the point being is, uh, overall, electric vehicles are really shifting around the world, and Australia is just really slow. It's it's dragging its coattails um, when it comes to electric vehicle integration. It, it's going to get to the point where internationally, around the world, everyone's got electric vehicles. And Australia has been, because we have no fuel emissions standard, we've been the dumping ground for cars. Yeah. So, like, cars that really don't make it in England or Europe because they don't have the efficiency standard, send them to Australia, send them to them cheap. Soon, those cars are going to stop. So we're just going to get a flux of electric vehicles. We have no tra- option to buy them, and we have no infrastructure ready for them. So we're, it's, it's, cat, it's carrot and stick policy. Carrot, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we're going to get fucking slapped hard. Because electric vehicles, imagine, what is it? Uh, let's say two and a half million electric vehicles plugging in, charging at the same time in the grid. Boom. Wires will melt. Stations yeah. go down. Hospitals close. Yeah. If we don't prepare for us, we're fucked. And so my, my push here is to say that we are slowing behind. We need to push the electric vehicles because it's, it's not if, it's when. Yeah. And, and it's it, coming a lot sooner than people expect. So let's fucking get going. Anyways, acceleration. This, let's, this, 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 this was the point I wanted to make on this topic as well. So like in my, in my foot of engineering, we don't really talk about EVs. We talk about more about the materials used for like lithium and whatnot. And my bold mm. prediction is between 2030 and 2040, EVs should be worth half of what they are now. Um, pretty much because of how easy it's going to be to recycle batteries. So it's been a They're not going to depreciate as much. Yeah, the so, raw material. Like I touched on back in the space topic is um, we're going through a 
call like a third industrial revolution right now and like how do we integrate technology to do what we want to do but also mm. sustainable at the same time and a big thing in the chemical field we talk about is actually recycling batteries now currently they do this for all metals which cause something it's called pyrometallurgy i just pronounced that one wrong which is what the, what they do is they take the components of the lithium ion battery and they take it to about 1200 degrees mm-hmm. they melt it they melt the plastic off the battery and they repurpose it using molten Lithium. All oh, right. That's really bad because it releases toxic gases and it has high energy sum- oh, consumption. The CCUS would save us. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to continue. And also, it has really low recovery as well. So it's really not the most ideal thing, and that's why we're not doing it now. And like, why lithium's expensive. But what they're looking into now is something called hydrometallurgy. So instead of using heat, what you do with like the spent lithium battery is you use acids. So you, they can do it with like sulfuric acid or hydrochloric acid, which is the acid in your stomach, right? Pretty much what they do. So when you think of a lithium-ion battery, it's not pure lithium. It's like a salt, right? And lithium carbonate oxide is one of mm. them. So that's 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 what you're left with uh, in a lithium battery. But after, I think it's a 15-year shelf life, Sean, for... Um, uh, I think batteries for Tesla's are warranted at 15. So they can go 15, for... Yeah. They can go longer, but they're wararanty to work to a certain degree at 15. And at that point, it's spent because you've got a lot of cobalt deposits and it's just fouling and it just won't work. But what yeah. they'll do is they'll get that spent material and react it with an acid, right? So what... It actually strips all the cobalt off and leaches it out and then it reduces it as well at the same time. So what mm. we're saying is it's taking all the bad stuff away and getting that pure lithium salt back. So compared to like um, pyrometallurgy, which has a recovery of about 40%, we're talking up to 80 to 90% recovery of lithium by using recycling. That's good recycling. Now, the problem is, even though you have high period and high recovery weight, there's a lot of concerns around the wastewater. No one wants to dump acids down the drain. Because no, you can't. Look, look, you know how you're talking about like, you know, preparing for it in the grid and like everyone charges their vehicles and you melt the grid. Well, now you're talking about fuck tons of acid going into the drain. And But we uh, have standards and regulations to avoid us dumping huge amounts of waste inappropriately. Correct. And that's why we can't really rely on this new process. So now what they're doing now is looking at, at using ultrasound, ultrasound technology and also oh. biological hydrometallurgy, which doesn't use acids. It actually uses bacteria, which do the same reaction, but there's no waste. It's literally little bugs that eat the, like the cobalt and stuff and get all the bad things away. And this is what I'm loving about the environment now is we're using things like algae and bacteria to do these things for us because there's no waste. It's all biological. These guys eat it and digest it and they so, turn it into good things. So we have a bacteria that goes out and can target a specific thing and destroy it. We can do this. We can do this for almost anything now. Perfect. I've got a home loan that I could really use some chewing into. <laughs> can we develop a bacteria that can destroy like, like an a home million loan, yeah. home loan, please? <laughs> yeah. So that's the main concern. But the fact that processes are improving, and I always use the solar panel analogy, is one day it was $20 a kilowatt, whereas now it's 40 cents. Am I right? Or is it cheaper than it's, that? It's 20 cents. It was like, yeah, like it was $1.90 a watt. It's now like 12 cents. Like okay. it's fucking wild how far that's dropped. And this is this is what I'm saying. So I reckon this third industrial revolution, and I wish we could have found this earlier because we would have been able to meet emissions targets mm. so much easier. But that 2050 is our next goal. So yeah. look to watch that lithium recycled space because uh, that's why I think the bat, the car is going to be like probably 30 grand as opposed to what 50 to 60 grand. Well, they're coming in now at just over 35. I'd say is the the low entry level for an electric vehicle. To see them drop to 30 or 25, that's the fucking breaking point. Yeah. If you get a Mazda two. That comes into the same cost as the petrol version, but like a third the runtime cost and the electricity cost, even charging at high prices, 
Oh yeah, that thing's gonna take off like crazy. Yeah. Oh, jeez. And I, I don't know Mercedes. I don't know how big they are on the actual uh, EV cars, but they're looking into more of the lithium recycling field because I think they want to go that way eventually. It's, it's smart. If you can recycle lithium, you can avoid the the mining cost of it, and then you don't need to worry about like the ongoing uh, emissions and damage to the environment if you improperly dispose of lithium. You can just keep recycling it, which honestly is fine. I want to keep doing that. It's a good idea. We, I mean, like, the idea that lithium's bad for the environment. <laughs> like, yeah, of course it's fucking bad. So is mining, like, cobalt and metals and steel. But we need them to grow. We physically can't do without them. We can offset them. Um, and we can mitigate the risk. But lithium, I mean, it's your, every single phone, device, yeah, or Wi-Fi, satellites. Like, you're going to, what, scrap everything because electric vehicles now starts using it? Come on now. Who's saying lithium's bad for the environment? Oh, it's literally you, not a heavy metal. Oh, I've seen, like... Facebook posts about like, oh, it's about kids mining lithium. Kids don't really fucking mine lithium. They mine Do you cobalt. Do they use but... lithium to treat bipolar disorder? Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, talking chemically, yeah, you can use a lot of things. I mean, was it chlorine gas is also like uh, a poison used in World War Two, but it's also on now tables as table salt. Like, come on now. Like, it's it, you've you got you've got of, both yeah, sides yeah. of the section. Yeah, but yeah, to yeah. suggest that lithium is bad for the environment is like saying, oh. it's, well, it says lithium mining is specifically bad because of the way they have to. Do do it but it's it's no worse than anything else that we mine there's no complaints about steel actually there has been very few complaints about coal until the last like 10 years so i mean come now <laughs> come on yeah what a, this isn't there's no legs uh, like like elon musk suing twitter he has no leg to stand on no well thanks for listening to see more Engineering Dads content like this, head to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and I'll link below to see our other projects. Have a good one.